Hello, I'm Dapper Dan Gavazdan, and I own every issue of Amazing Spider-Man, including the annuals, which definitely count. And you know how I know they count, Mark, although this might be a bit of a controversy, is in Across the Spider-Verse, one of the annuals, Annual 21, is shown as a canon event. So if anything counts, it's got to be at least that annual. Wow. Well, I mean, you're 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 coming in hot to start, Dan. I am a mischievous Marchinacchio, and I own every issue of Amazing Spider-Man, including the annuals. But I can't consider anything about a movie about someone who's not even supposed to be Spider-Man is counting. You know, like so. There you go. <laughs> okay. All right. I'm coming in right. with the spoilers. Well, <laughs> okay. All right. Well, that that's where we're at. Okay. So welcome to the Amazing Spider Talk, the show where two fans and collectors uncover the strange fun and fascinating history of the spider-man comic and movie universes or multiverses spider verses i forget the exact thing that miguel says in this movie that is unpronounceable but either way thanks for joining us for this review episode of the amazing spider talk are they referred to as quetzalcoatls um (laughs) no mark (laughs) okay anyway if you want to swing along with us on our journey through spidey's past present and future subscribe to amazing spider talk on your favorite podcast app and of course leave us a review to help spread the word about our show if you're not a member of our patreon you'll get that joke in about three months (laughs) either way this podcast exists because of the support of our patreon members think about that you could join the patreon and understand that joke straight away like so if you want to receive early episodes exclusive artwork and keep this podcast going go to amazingspidertalk.com and consider joining our patreon where all the episodes of season six are going up several weeks early including interviews with people like tom defalco and ron friends and some of our other favorite spider-man creators Today on the show, Mark and I are going to be discussing our thoughts on Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse in full spoilers. If you haven't already seen the film, we suggest that you don't listen. Consider this a warning. Hit pause. Come back to this. It's not going anywhere. The file will sit on your phone and you can return to it when you have seen the movie. If you are on the fence about seeing the movie, we both think the film is well worth your time and should be seen without spoilers. So again, go see the film and then come back here for our thoughts. If you haven't seen the film at this point and you're continue watching, this is the last warning we're giving. And I think that's probably a really bad choice on your part, but I can't stop you. I am surrendering to destiny. You may be destined to listen to this. So 
Here we are across the Spider-Verse. Mark, it's been almost five years since the release of Into the Spider-Verse. And a lot of a lot has happened in the comics and movie space since then. But I think that film is kind of generally regarded as like a, if not a sea change in the Spider-Man cinematic universe, a sea change in, for like American animation from major studios. That movie, you know, went on to win an Oscar, which is huge for like any Spider-Man property, you know, best animated feature. It's like, you know, I think the world has slowly come around on how wonderful that film is. Our conversation today is going to be a little bit looser than our normal conversations. We're just going to talk about the movie. But I am curious, Mark, what were your expectations going into Across the Spider-Verse? It's funny. Like, yes, I mean, to to, to kind of echo what, what you just said. I mean, that first movie was such a, a, cut, a cultural touchstone. And um, actually, I mean, like, I was very fortunate when I saw the first movie because I, I was able to go see a, a critics preview with uh, Available Alan at the time when, when he was in New York City. It just kind of added to the, like, the mystique and aura that I was uh, getting an opportunity to see this movie early. And I know you got to see uh, Across the Spider-Verse ahead of the gen pop, if you will. Um, and you could talk about that uh, in, in a second. But so I think because of the fact that it was so such an important moment for me and, you know, I know we both got very different but equally meaningful things out of that movie that have impacted our lives. I mean, I know you talk about it quite often on Twitter about you are a father in many ways because of that movie. You know, in terms of expectations for Across the Spider-Verse, I I mean, quite honestly, I went into this like looking, you know, with the expectation that I would enjoy it, but like I was prepared to not love it the way I love the first one, because I just find that it's so challenging for lightning to strike twice when it comes to something like this as, as, as well crafted and, you know, excellent as it may be made and what went into it. And I, you know, it's that, you know, from the looks of it and from everything I've read about it, I mean, this was a true, you know, endeavor to get this movie done. But yeah, I I, I, I I went into it just like not not ex- not expecting it to be bad by any stretch, but I was just like, there's no way it can live up to that original. And you know, it's in in some ways I think it surpassed the original, but in other ways where I think when you get to the heart and soul of it, it didn't. And we'll talk about that as we go along. But like, you know, like I, I don't know, am I being too too much of a downer and leaving with saying, ah, I wasn't expecting it to be like, you know, the end all be all. I don't know. <laughs> Well, no, I, 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 my expectations were similar. I, I went over this on my spoiler free conversation about it, but you know, my greatest fear was always that the joy, I think what made into the Spider-Verse special was nobody at Sony was really paying attention to this movie. You know, it was this little animated project that like from a really small animation studio. I mean, the, their movie prior to into the Spider-Verse, let's remember was the emoji movie, you know, <laughs> like wildly regarded as one of the worst animated films ever. So like, I don't think there were any expectations like put on into the spider verse to really be anything. And if anything, my interest in it was purely out of just like a love of animated films, always wanting to see Spider-Man with some triple a animation talent behind it and an interest in how they might put Miles on screen. I I saw it like two months before it came out. 
and like found myself unable to tell people about why it was so special. <laughs> you know, like I walked out of that theater thing. That's the best Spider-Man movie I've ever seen. No one is going to believe me. You know? <laughs> and I think for the most part, that remained somewhat true, uh, at least during his time in the theaters. Like, as of right now, we're recording this after the first weekend of Across the Spider-Verse being out in theaters, and it made more money in its first weekend than Into the Spider-Verse made in its entire run domestically. So it's like, this was a real word-of-mouth, Netflix, streaming, Blu-ray movie, like, of the kind that I think doesn't even exist really anymore like that idea of like a movie having a second life is incredibly rare now because most stuff gets lost in you know the the stream at, or disposable and yet this one movie really like hung around and so when it wins an oscar that ups its place in the culture as well and gets more eyes on it like what is this film that just won an oscar uh could it be really be that good so to get to my fear was that well now it's this thing and Sony is going to start, you know, sticking their fingers in it a little bit and undermine its effort uh, or, or the the artistic purity of it. And I think there are some very small signs of that. Overall, I think this is an arti- uh, an incredible artistic achievement. I think, uh, in alluding to what you said, in ways it's superior than the original, I didn't really think there were ways that a film could be artistically superior than the original. I mean, I just couldn't conceive of it because that animation seemed already like 20 years ahead of its time. The animation in this movie is the most beautiful animation, the most wildly experimental that I've ever seen in my life. I just got back from seeing it again a second time in the IMAX. And if you have an IMAX near you, a real IMAX, I cannot stress enough Mark, you got to go up to 72nd Street. I can't stress it enough that you go see this movie in IMAX. So that's where it really soars to me. The question is, I think the first one's script is also a masterpiece. And for me, the script in this one is almost at that level. And in some ways, there's a lot more stuff that I like that's at that level. But I don't think it lands the third act in the way the first one lands its third act. And that's just might be inherently because it's a, a movie that's split in half in some ways. So anyway, that's, th- those are my big points is artistically triumph script a little bit shaggy. Yeah. Well, I, I was about to say, I mean, you know, the, the fact of the matter is the 800 pound gorilla of in the room here is that it is an incomplete movie. And I don't think that there's any way around it. And, you know, I think even coming out of the, the preview that you saw of it, you know, I think you were like, you know, it's more back to the future, too, than Empire Strikes Back. And and I agree with that uh, 100 percent. I think that's the most apt comparison um, I've seen. Like, I remember going, you know, I, I was old enough to go see the Back to the Future movies in the movie theater, Dan. Uh, so so seeing the second one and, and the way it ended and it was a similar reaction in my theater the way this because I don't, you know, not you know, shock or spoiler alert, not everyone is as hyper online as most people who uh, talk to us on Twitter and stuff are. So people didn't realize that it was a two-parter. The The audience would like legitimately groaned and booed when it ended where it did. And that, and not because I, not because they didn't enjoy it, but like, they were just like, wait, what? You know what I mean? Like it just felt so cut off. You know what I mean? Like, like mm-hmm. it, it was, you know, there, there really was no resolution. I mean, it really ends midstream. And 
it is interesting. I, 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 I do think we need to talk a little bit too about, and maybe this kind of ties into your initial question about expectations, but just kind of like how, not that people necessarily like are, are, are fake into this movie. Cause I don't think that's it. And I don't want to get into any gatekeeping about that. But like you said, like the first movie was even through the bulk of its run and even through the Oscars, I feel like was just kind of like, like a, like a, a bit of a secret to people. I mean, I mean, to put it in these terms, like the first appearance of miles in the comic books that didn't skyrocket in value after this movie, whereas like all of the, like if you go to like cover prices, top 10 hot books list, you know, it's kind of like the wizard hot 10, you know, top 10 hot list. All of like almost all of the books right now, like nine of the 10 books are are Spider-Verse characters. It's like it's the first appearance of the spot. It's the first Miguel O'Hara. It's the first uh, Spider-Punk. And, and, and it's like, you know, like clearly like all of these parts of the pop culture slash comic book zeitgeist are intersecting here with this movie we never got that with the first movie so it 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 it, it is kind of funny to gauge how the audience is emotionally reacting and responding to things when you know i think for the most part a lot of them are kind of coming to the property for the first time uh in this movie or or you know maybe they saw the first movie like well after the fact but like they didn't experience it the way we did and i'm not saying our way is better or anything like that i just it just kind of as an observer i thought it was interesting to kind of like gauge those reactions and stuff but yeah i mean overall like i again agree with you 100% about the the visual integrity of this movie is and I didn't think this was possible, was leaps and bounds better than the first movie. I mean, like it, it, it took so many more chances and risks and, but was like, like very playful in its experimentation and joyful in its experimentation. Like, like I, like there's not a single frame of that movie that's wasted in any kind of way, nor is it like pretentious in any kind of a way like you know what i mean like it, it just it just walks every single line perfectly from a visual standpoint but like i i do think the story is lacking here like that and and that there are actual some very active character choices which i know we're going to get into that like i don't want to say i quote disagree with them because again because this is an incomplete movie there is a very good chance that a lot of this stuff is going to be basically proven moot by the end of this sequence but like you know not not to make this about a cross-medium argument here but like i i feel like there were some choices made with characters where if this happened in the current issue of amazing spider-man you know the there would be rage on twitter about it like i i i mean do you am i am i being outlandish in thinking that or it just it just well, i don't it, think you're being outlandish only because i think there will be rage about every issue of amazing spider-man on twitter but 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 i get the i get the sentiment of your point is like there there are things done with with characters in this that i think were it not in a movie people might get more upset about inside of like and that might just be because movies reach beyond niche culture you know like our show uh, is tailored towards an incredibly niche cultural fan base you know this movie is going to hit people far beyond that you know like going to the premiere which i would still say is like fairly general audience you know like there's a lot of the people that made the movie there 
that are obviously going to cheer on everything. I mean, it was a really good vibe. You know, I got to reconnect. I bumped into Dan Slott and said hello to him and uh, Brian Michael Bendis and um, Josh Keaton. And I had an extended conversation with Yuri Lowenthal, who wants to come back on the show when Spider-Man 2 comes out. You know, so like that was really cool. You know, it was it was a neat celebrity spotting moment. Really honored to have been invited uh, to to the event. Uh, I have not ever been to a red carpet premiere in in that way. You know, though I think my screening of Into the Spider Verse was like a month and a half before the actual red carpet premiere. You know, but there's a big event around the you know the red carpet. You get to walk down the red carpet. You you go in. It's it's it was really wonderful. And like your screening when it ended, everybody. Like there was a gasp. I don't think people were willing to say no to an audience full of the makers of the movie, but there was an, uh, yeah, there was an audible gasp, but afterwards the mood was kind of immediately, this is the best Spider-Man movie ever made. And I felt really kind of weird about that as I was, you know, ferreting my own thoughts around in my head. I was like kind of disappointed in the movie. Um, initially, I, again, I've seen the movie again, and as time has gone on, I've really warmed to a lot of it. But like you said, there are some things that are at the core of it that I really um, struggle with. So let's start with the positives. Like, let's each list, like, what are the things we really like about this? You want to get take us started? What What's something that stands out to you that you really like? Oh, I, I mean, there's, there is a lot. I mean, like, you know, like from a, from a broad-based standpoint, I mean, like, to put it, to, to back the claim that it's, the best Spider-Man movie ever, which I, I actually don't believe, but like to kind of give credence to that is the idea that this is, this is the ultimate love letter to all things Spider-Man in every facet of pop culture. You know what I mean? And like, you, you, like if you are someone who eats, sleeps and breathes Spider-Man, you know, the way we do, or frankly, even more than we do. Cause there are times where I'm just like, Hey guys, it's just a comic book character. Can we just relax? <laughs> <laughs> but, but I'm an actual crank, so that's what I do. Um, Mark, have you read my Easter eggs list? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I like this. This this is like just incredible. I mean, like you know, and you know, you, you have comics and and animation and video games and movies and i mean it's all there and it's just incredible to see that kind of celebration embodied on uh, on a screen like I, I you know like regardless of some of my my qualms with the with the story it's like like and i th- i said as much on twitter after seeing it it's like you know like I just like I I have to pinch myself that we live in a universe where I can see something like this. Like that's just like like I I can't even really put it into words sometimes because it's just like like you know like even with some of the frustrations with how it ended like like there are parts during that movie I'm like I I feel myself welling up because it's just like this is incredible to see this like th- to see this realized to see that there are people out there making movies with million dollar budgets who care about the facets of this character as much as I do or even more than I do and it's just like like what a world you know like and and I and I and I feel like that's just the ultimate calling card for this movie that it can just pack so much of that in and do it in such an accessible way that 
even if you're not a super fan who's super online, you could just go in and be like, wow, it's just got something for everybody. I, I, and, and, you know, like, so that's, that's my first point. I have many more things I like about it, but we can, if you want to jump off that at all, go for it. Sure. Yeah. I mean, like I try not to take it for granted, you know, that like, look, Spider-Man is a big, big mega character, but this is the, this goes beyond treating Spider-Man like a big IP character to make money off of like this is a really about loving every aspect of Spider-Man and all of the like associated like I got to see typeface in a movie Mark a sentence I, I never thought I would say he got a line the main villain movie. is the spot like what the hell yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> I try not to take that for granted you know um and and like all this stuff that they're doing with this, they did not need to do like this. This is like a, like they also applying are like, you know, you know, this thing is being used to push the medium forward. Like that a character that I love this much is being used to advance a medium that I love as much as I love, you know, I have a master's degree in film studies, you know, like, like I, I love film as much as I come on here and talk about comics every day. Like, like to see those worlds collide in this way and to see them push each other. It, it, it's so exciting. And it, it kind of is validating because you don't get a lot of validation, even from like the Marvel movies that comics really mean something, you know, like there's not a lot of self mythologizing in those movies, they kind of like treat comics like this silly thing, you know, like we're going to give you the like Captain America that's not wearing wings on his cap because he is a military man, you know, like everything is designed through the Iron Man aesthetic, you know, it's and we're going to make jokes about like Ant-Man's name, you know, there is none of that in these movies. It is it is just saying like, you're not weird to love comics. Like, in fact, they are really valuable and, you know, valuable in the way that, like you said, like you love them to take it one step further. It uses, it pushes comics thematically. Like this is a con this piece, this film, I think even more than the first one is like a response to culture. Um, I think part of that response comes in the form of an artistic license that I think hurts some of the characters in the film, but it is still offering a vibrant uh, cultural response to the character of Miles Morales and the backlash to the character of Miles Morales. And it's interesting for us in the place that we're at is because like some of that backlash to Miles Morales really came when you and I were starting our show and was one of the things that kind of pushed us like seeing the internet be that toxic and then that toxic again for superior Spider-Man really like we wanted to carve out a different space for the character in, in pop culture and to see this movie kind of echoing that in some way and saying like the whole theme of this movie is Miles saying like, you're going to reject me. I don't care. I'm going to do it my own way. You know, frankly, I think that's what comics should really say all the time. But uh, I found that particularly moving like as a comic fan and a fan of Spider-Man to see that statement made in a movie like this. To further your point, I would just say like, this is a, a, a piece of media that is not 
remotely embarrassed or finds any irony in you know where it sources its its material from you know what i mean it's it, it you know like you said you, we saw typeface we saw the spot we saw like all you know hobie brown spider punk is a main character you know like spider woman gwen stacy is like even more integral to this movie than she was in the first movie. You know what I mean? I would say like she was like the 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 one B to Miles's one A in this movie. You know, like more. You know, and and yes, it's it's Spider Man across all media. You know, we saw segments of Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield and Tom Holland. Right? There was Tom Holland in there, right? Or they discuss him, but I don't think we ever see him. Okay. Okay. Yuri Lowenthal's in it. Um, uh, spectacular. <laughs> he does get a line. Yeah. Spectacular Spider-Man's in it. Uh, you know, like it's, it's, so it's not just the comics and yet it's so the comics, it's so much the comics. Like, you know, like, yeah, they, 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 they change some of the, the, the details, the granular details about these characters, but like at the core, it's the comics. It's the comics that's driving this story. It's, it's where the, the heart and soul of this material is coming from. And, and like, I'm a comics guy, you know, like I, I got commissioned to write a book about Spider-Man in pop culture. And, you know, I had, I had a hundred chapters to do it and probably 90 of them were about comics because that's, what I value in Spider-Man, you know, and, but I, but, you know, we've talked about this many times over the years on this show, the comics make up such a small percentage of, at least in relative terms, the people who consume Spider-Man, you know, like, like, yes, those people go on to do other stuff, but like, you know, not everyone who sees the movies, not everyone who saw this movie is going to be buying the next issue of Amazing Spider-Man or the next issue of Miles Morales. They just aren't, you know, it's going to be a much smaller percentage that do that. And yet the, the people who made this movie are not afraid to lean so heavily on that and, and, and embrace it and celebrate it and dig as deep and be as navel gazy about it. But again, like not to repeat myself, not in an obnoxious way. Like it's not, you know, I don't feel like anyone is showing off, their knowledge of continuity or references. It's just like, yeah, we're going to put it in there. Cause why not? It's fun. You know, like, I, I don't know. So. Yeah. There's very few, uh, despite me doing my Easter egg articles, I don't really love the like culture around Easter egg stuff. Like for me, the Easter egg articles are there really just to like share my joy of the comics with people and maybe get them to pick up a comic book, which is why I pepper it my my write up if you haven't checked it out i wrote a piece at the hollywood reporter of the like i think it's now 120 easter eggs i found and references that i found in um across the spider-verse it was the longest piece i've ever written and in many ways i feel i've only scratched the surface but you know i pepper that with recommendations of books to go pick up because that's what i want people to do is to take this exciting discovery they've made and, and perhaps chase it uh, another direction. You know, somebody said to me the, uh, the other day on Facebook, when they, I posted my article, they said like, my kids really loved the movie and they loved reading your list. And I said, well, let me know if you want any recommendations for comics. And they're like, Oh, I hadn't really thought about that. That does make sense. They should go check out the comic. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah, you should. I mean, now that's not to say like going picking up the most recent Miles comic is going to be good for them, given it has carnage mass slaughtering a bunch of people in it, you know, but like hopefully Marvel has some stuff printed ready to go for 
kids who want to get invested in his stories. Yeah, you're right about about all of that. Can we talk about the animation in that regard? Because like for me, the big stunner in this movie is Earth 65 Spider-Gwen's universe, which is a Rico Renzi, uh, Robbie Rodriguez and his barking dog, <laughs> like all of their colors and paint and style just injected on screen. I thought it was one of the most beautiful looking things I've ever seen in my life. Gwen's universe was was like just lifted straight from the comics. I mean, like I feel like anytime uh, Ben Riley shows up, it's like it just looked like I I felt like I was looking at like Tom Lyle's like you know adjectiveless Spider Man uh, comics. You know, Hobie Brown. I mean, every like yeah, it's it, like the, the 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 like I mean, and they did this to a degree in. The first movie, like they kind of just like meshed a certain aesthetic with each character, but I feel like they pushed the boundary so much further. It wasn't just like, you know, the figures being in that aesthetic. I mean, they they made entire universes in that aesthetic. You know, talking about my 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 personal fandom here. I mean, Edge of Spider Verse number two, which was you know Spider. Yeah, I I I I know she's not technically Spider Gwen, but it's just for the sake of conversation. It's just easier to refer to her as Spider Gwen. So before all you people on the internet come after me for calling her Spider Gwen, I'm just just saying it's I'm I'm doing it out of laziness here. Don't you dare call her Ghost Spider. Oh well, definitely not that. But um, <laughs> but th- that comic is like one of my favorite single issues of you know connected to Spider Man universe that's come out in the last what was it 10 years now, but whatever. Like I, like I just adore, like I just remember the sheer excitement of reading that comic when it first came out. I think I probably like blew up your phone about it. And then like, we were able to get Jason Latour and Robbie on and their barking dog. And it was like, like, like to me, it was like the ultimate coup because again, like similar to the spider verse movies, I feel like at the time, like Gwen wasn't Gwen hadn't truly become a thing just yet. You know what I mean? Like it was just like, so like we, we had read the books, we had had the interview with the creator. Like, you know, it was like, we made it, man. Like, (laughs) I mean, we, we were, I think amongst the first interviews ever with those guys, you know? So that was really exciting. And then to see that single issue translated to screen line for line here in the movie. I mean, it's literally word for word. I was really incredible. Just, and the, you know Daniel Pemberton's like drum score for for Gwen that she's doing at the beginning with the Mary Janes that comes back at the end to like I get my new band together and she's got all the Spider people like what a rousing time at the cinema like that's why people are shouting no because they build you back up there at the end you're like ready to go you know and in many ways I feel silly dinging it in any way for it being one half of a movie. Uh, really, there is there are some minor arcs that get paid off, right? And uh, they were much more satisfying for me a second time than the first time. But this only exists in this state for like ten months. You know, in like ten months, we're gonna have the sequel. You know, so there's a very like very short time in this movie's existence that we won't have the follow up to it. And then if it sticks, the, if it sticks the landing, this is like a five star trilogy str- all the way straight through. And I, I think that's really exciting to have something that's operating on that level. One of the other things I wanted to talk about uh, about the movie is thematically the idea of like parenthood 
you know, that was a big part of the first movie, Miles and his dad and Peter, you know, and his journey, you know, to decide to return to Mary Jane and and be open to fatherhood. All of that, I think, really comes back here in an interesting way. You've got, you know, Gwen and Captain Stacy. He has a great line where, you know, it's like parenthood, you know, right as she like disappears into a portal, you know. Like that's really funny, and and you've got Rio and 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 Jefferson Morales, and you've got uh, Peter and and Mayday. For me, the star of the show that I was uh, the surprise star of the show here was Rio Morales, a character I've never cared about. One wink, <laughs> really like what a vibrant character as translated to the screen. Did, did any of this parenthood stuff uh, impact you, Mark? Oh, my goodness. 100, well, I, well, first of all, I feel like this had a more emotionally mature view of parenthood than the first movie. And that's not to ding the first movie for it, but like, I mean, but like appropriately so as a sequel, you know what I mean? Like, it, you know, like, you know, Miles has been Spider-Man now for what, what did they establish? Nine months? It's like a year and a oh, half. Oh, a year and a half, yeah. even longer. Okay. So like, you know, like he, you know, for, where in the first movie, I feel like it was, it was, the first movie was about kind of like gaining acceptance and kind of accepting who you are. And, and kind of like the, how that that journey of acceptance and belief in yourself interplays with your significant others and your parents and your and your family. Whereas I feel like, you know, a lot of the themes of this movie were, were connected to the idea of like, now that you know who you are, how, you know, does that drive away, you know, or does that, does being who you are put a wedge between you and your loved ones? I mean, like, you know, like that, that, that speech, and I know it was in one of the trailers, so it was, you know, spoiled for me in that regard, but like it, it, in the theater, it hit me with the same emotional level as when I saw the, the trailer about like, you know, I need you, like, I can't basically real be like, I can't protect you anymore. So I need you to promise you're going to protect that little boy inside yourself. And like that, you know, as someone who has lost his mother, like that, 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 that line just wrecks me. You know what I mean? It's like that, 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 that sense of, you know, having to go out and, and, and be a grown up. But, you know, part of that maturity is also protecting that child within. And, and, and like, you know, like there, there's so much, in this movie about that that kind of circles back to these ideas of parents making mistakes um that i don't think you know really was reflected as much like i mean like miguel o'hara's arc is you know like i mean we could talk about just how over the top the character is at points but you know at, at its core he he is who he is because you know he he wanted time with his daughter and to do that he made a mistake that ruined it for everybody you know what i mean so uh, jefferson is 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 you know trying to advance his himself um but still trying to keep that that bond to understand miles and and is failing to do that it's just potent stuff and like as someone who is now the father of an 11 year old. And, you know, let me tell you, I mean, not, not, not to scare you, Dan, but like when they get older and they start having their own ideas and thoughts and beliefs and stuff, it's tough because it's like, you know, because you're just like, where's the little twerp that just cried and pooped all the time. It's not there anymore. So like, it's, it's, 
you know, in the, in the ways that, you know, I think the first movie impacted me personally in terms of like that, that need to, to take risks, to take the leap of faith. You know, I, 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 it's funny, like, I know leap of faith for you led to, to parenthood, like leap of faith for me. Like I, I took that to like take more personal risks in, you know, my, my personal life and my career. And you know what I mean? Like, I was like, you know, no, sometimes, you know, I'm someone who wants to have, know, know what the, what the board is going to look like and where every movie is going to end up. And, and that, that movie and that, that, that taught me to, to kind of just free myself of that and to take the leap sometimes. But this was, this was a little more potent because it, it like there, that, that uncertainty remains, but it's an uncertainty that's kind of laced with, you know the ideas of failures and the ideas of of disappointment of not being the person you thought you were to someone else or to not being the hero that you thought you were and and it it's just really like I keep saying really powerful stuff for me yeah and you know i'm at a very different part of my kid journey than you as you said. I, i'm talking to you deeply from from diapers and drooling and and crawling land. My my son actually began to crawl just a couple days before I saw this film. And so seeing Mayday on the screen <laughs> in a very similar like developmental stage as my son was really wonderful, you know. I really connected with Miles and Peter B Parker in the previous film and so seeing Peter there explicitly saying to Miles, I have a kid because of you, which was my journey, like immediately wrapped me back into the arms of that character and where he is at. Just seeing where he's looking over his daughter's uh, crib and says to Mary Jane, you know, am I basically am I equipped for this? Like, like, can I handle this? You know, and she basically tells him like an extension of like. You know, you, you handle things as Spider-Man. You have the skills to handle this too. But like, it, it's still a continuance of that leap of faith idea. You know, like uh, you would just have to kind of believe that that you can, you know, and like that's where Peter's journey mirrors Miles from the first movie is Miles has to believe he can be Spider-Man. Peter has to believe he can be a father. And in this movie, it says like, oh, no, like those characters are still on that journey. You know, like Miles still has to believe that he has a place for being Spider-Man and and Peter has to believe he can be a good father. Although some of his choices in this film, uh, as he points out, questionable at best. <laughs> Mayday does seem up for it. The the image of her pulling that mask down over her face uh, uh, at the end of the film is very funny. And I wonder if we're going to get Mayday based action. Uh, so, uh, you know, that kind of gets, let's talk about Peter B. Parker, because that is like a, a segue into like the parts that I find questionable about this movie. And we haven't really talked about either of the villains. I'll very quickly say, like, I think the spot is an incredible creation visually. That fight sequence throughout uh, Manhattan or Brooklyn is tremendous and very fun and when they begin to ramp up his powers, you can feel like it really does feel like he's becoming a threat and he gets very scary looking, you know, by the end of the film. But it is weird that they choose to just kind of like abandon him halfway through the movie. Like the threat kind of it doesn't go away, but it very much shifts into phase two. Really quick thoughts on the spot before we get into the spider society and 
the Miguel of it all. Yeah, um, I, I, I mean, like unlike the first movie, like the Kingpin is you know a constant presence in that movie, and and I, I frankly, I thought, you know, in terms of Spider-Man movies, both live action and otherwise, you know, the Kingpin is probably one was one of the best rendered villains that has ever appeared in a Spider-Man movie, you know, from that first movie, and I, like, like you said. Similar to like my overall thoughts about the movie, I think from a visual standpoint, the spot was fantastic. But like, and you know, not to not to get into sausage making here or or potentially get you in trouble. But I I remember having a conversation with you several years ago where you were like, you know, you were having a conversation with someone about the movie involved with the movie, and they were talking about like, yeah, I think we're going to really use the spot, and you were just like, huh, and like you were telling me this, and I was like, huh. <laughs> And it's, I'm still kind of like, huh, like, okay. I mean, like, it's, it was well done what was presented on the screen when he was there. And I thought uh, Jason Schwartzman was, was hilarious. Like, I mean, like, it was great casting as well for, for the character, for sure. You know, there was still a part of me that was kind of like, and I know we had some cameos of other villains like renaissance vulture but like i was just kind of like, who was great yes by the way yeah but i was still kind of just like we're gonna get a real villain here right or or like you know what is when is like you know i know we weren't gonna get kingpin again necessarily but like oh what about a hobgoblin or or, Doc, or another doc ock or what or venom or whatever but um no we 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 did the spot and you know like i guess for me there is just kind of a a a a suspension of disbelief going on here. And I do think they like by the end, like you said, visually when they show him, he is kind of uh, a presence of his own, but like, you know, for the, 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 the great amount of his screen time early in the movie, I'm just like, I'm still like, it was hard for me to get over the fact that he just felt like a punchline to me. And like, I, 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 I had a hard time taking it seriously, basically, is, is the bottom line. I do, I do think by the time we get to Mumbatton, he is a, a threat. Like, he's throwing portals that are warping people all over the place. Like, you know, he's kind of like finding the potential as a villain that the spot, I think we've all kind of suspected he has, you know, that we've never really seen on the page, you know? There's something about seeing him rendered in this way that's so interesting, whereas everything else has like these great textures. He is really like, like, uh, you know, essentially nothing, you know, but you can still see, you can see his wireframe, like the, the sketchy hand-drawn wireframe underneath him. Like, and then the spots themselves, there's almost like felt like fuzzy, like texture. There's something about it that I've never seen on the comic page that like, makes him, you know, like somewhat of an interesting tactile creation. You know, yeah, by the end, I think he's absolutely terrifying looking. And obviously he's going to be the big focus, I think, for the next movie. But I do think you're right. I think like thematically I can make a tie for like why the spot is matters for this story, right? He is a guy who is also trying to insist a story onto Miles, right? He's saying like, I am your nemesis. Like, I created you, you know, um, in ways we've seen like even the Green Goblin do to Peter, like uh, especially in the ultimate one where it's like, no, you have to fight me or join me because I created you. And it's like, I didn't ask for you to do that. You know, like, please leave me alone. You know, 
there is something there. I think it's a lot thinner than the Kingpin one, which is like about a guy trying to like undo a mistake in his past by, you know, putting everybody else's lives on the line. I think that motivation is clearer and more interesting to me, but as like a visual threat, like it's clear that he was chosen because the portals thing makes sense to like be the thing that threatens the multiverse. And visually it's very exciting for an animated movie to work with Spock. I mean, it certainly works um, better than I would think like Moreland would have worked in this constant. You know what I mean? But, but like, but it's still like, I, I, it, it, it I had a hard time resolving in my brain like oh wait no this is the spot and we're meant to take him seriously <laughs> you know what i mean like it's just uh i hate to be that way but i'm just i'm just being honest dad <laughs> so so moving on from the spot let's talk about miguel o'hara who i think kind of like quickly becomes the secondary or or main villain yeah. of this movie or maybe the so to or speak. maybe the chief antagonist the way J. jonah jameson was in the comics for spider-man you know like yeah so you know obviously you know, Miles goes to the Spider Society in Nueva York, and Miguel is running this elite team of spider people who are basically safeguarding the multiverse from collapse due to these canon events. Man, when I saw the word ASM 90 show up on his wristwatch or whatever, and and then show up actually on screen, like that was a really jaw-dropping moment for me to see comics presented that way i've i've never seen anything like that in my life oh yeah no i mean well so what did, what, did, what did you think overall of the quote-unquote canon events i mean I, I don't mean to jump around like we but i feel like we can't talk about miguel until we talk about canon events because i i i mean to me this is far and away the most controversial part of the movie i feel two ways about it like i mean the big thing is this film's statement is incomplete you know like it seems like it's setting up I mean, like everything points towards Miles revealing that all of this destiny stuff is mumbo jumbo that doesn't need to be adhered to. And that, you know, we, we can, we can, you know, chart our own destiny. I mean, even the use of the word canon, I think is very intentional, right? Like you could say any other word there, but canon has this sort of like nerdy, annoying, push up your glasses by the brim kind of quality to it. Like, I don't think you, even, you and I even talk about Canon very often on the show. It just has a real negative connotation to it. Like, Oh, but the Canon says, wow. Right. You know? Right. Well, like, I mean, I have had conversations with people who, you know, are very, you know, passionate about the marriage of Peter and MJ. And I ask, well, if you liked those, if you like that coupling so much, why didn't more people buy Renew Your Vows, like the second version of it when it was Jerry Conway and Ryan Stegman? And their response to me is, well, it's not canon. And it's like, to me, like, it's all canon because it's all story. You know what I mean? It's all, to me, story is story. You know what I mean? Like, it, 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 the, the the flexibility to to play with canon, and this is, I'm talking like larger, not just related to this movie, is what makes storytelling so interesting because it, it it can just be a minor, you know, break in the, in the timeline that changes the outcome of something. And I feel like, 
you know, the 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 focus within this movie on what is predestined. And I agree with you. I I, I tend to believe that it's setting us up for uh, for a conclusion of canon is bunk. But you know, we get a very long monologue from Miguel in this movie. You know that that reinforces like you know the importance of canon and like you know like so even if it gets nullified in a future installment like you know like care and 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 passion was put into this perspective if you will from a from a filmmaking standpoint and and it's just something as as a consumer of this medium i i i i disagree with like i i i i just feel like you know i don't care what's canon or not i want you to tell me a good story you know what i mean like 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 to me story it should not be contingent on what is pre predetermined or preordained because that's that's so utterly boring like you know like to do the same thing over and over and over again you know like i i want to see something different i want to see something be out of character if we can somehow bring it back to why it's in character like that's that's on you the storyteller to bring us back you know what i mean like but like we should have we should have canon challenged i think as as consumers because i think if we just got canon all the time it would you know yeah i guess there would be certain segments of the fans where currently that would just be totally happy with canon (laughs) but you know i want something i want something spicier than canon (laughs) yeah well i mean it's a tricky thing because like you know canon can be useful right to kind of like establish the core elements of something you know, but it can also be like really a way of, of limiting creativity because you have to make something adhere, you know, and the movie does a really interesting thing suggesting like Miles's very existence is outside of the canon, right? Like someone else was supposed to get bitten by that spider. Miles was not meant to be. And so his very existence is an aberration and Miguel O'Hara during an amazing sequence on that rocket that's blasting up out of Nueva York, you know, pins him to the side of the rocket and tells him like, you are the original like aberration, kind of the original sin of, of this universe that threatened threatens, you know, the spot wouldn't exist without miles. Like everything is a spawning of, you know, him, but he can't help but be himself, you know, um, in that. And, and, and then that, his very existence is kind of like a debunks, you know, uh, Miguel's claims that this needs to be adhered to. I think beyond even like comics and that and all that, I think there's also a commentary on like, and you get this from Peter B. Parker of all people, this commentary on like, well, bad things happen to good people, you know? Uh, and Peter literally says to Miles, like, like most of us are here because of uncle Ben, right? Like all of this bad stuff has happened, but look at all the good things that have come out of it. You and my daughter, you know, like bad things happen to good people. And yet we didn't continue on. And that could very well be the message of the next movie, depending on what direction they go is that. Yeah. Miles, like you can fight it all you want, but like bad things will always happen two good people, you know, like, and and that's somewhat adult. My problem comes when you have a character like Peter B. Parker saying that, because I actually think like 
as true as that adage might be, I do think it's a little cynical that we are shackled to destiny and bad things will like uh, will happen and there's nothing we can do about it. And that's the part that makes it tough is you have Peter saying like, you know, we're all here because of Uncle Ben. But then in a key moment in this movie, they have the ability to prevent someone else's like Uncle Ben figure or Captain Stacy figure from dying. And they actively dissuade Miles from doing so, Peter included. And this is the real break for me. I just do not believe that all of these spider people would go along with Miguel. Like, I just don't believe that that worldview, like Spider-Man's worldview is a hundred percent that counter to that. And even if it ends up being undone in the next movie, you know, and by the end of this movie, like Gwen and Peter have had realizations that they were in the wrong, um, which we can talk about. I think that all of these characters were regressed in a way in order to make Miles's story more clear and stronger. And maybe for art, that artistic reason, that's good. But I think even watching the first film and following it up with this film, you can't help but feel like those characters have abandoned many of the principles that were driving them in the first film. Your thoughts? Yeah, no, I, I, I agree wholeheartedly. I mean, in terms of the regression point, I mean, like, I feel that it negates... It negates their emotional journeys from the first movie for sure. But like, you know, to to the larger point of, you know, this idea of that, you know, even for a period of time, these characters going along with this. I mean, like, you know, you talk about canon being the kind of, a, you know, maybe not the, the, the rule book, but certainly a guiding principle. I mean, you know, and maybe this is open to interpretation, but I interpret with great power, there must also come great responsibility to mean that like, if you have the ability to make a better outcome, you have to at least try. You know what I mean? Like, like, and, and like that is a core tenet of who Spider-Man is, is, is that he believes because he made that one mistake that one time that he will always try and find a way to do better. So, so to tell me, like you said, that every one of these Spider-Man characters where power and responsibility is a core tenant and frankly, quote unquote, canon that they would just actively, you know, like it's not even that they kind of like were passive about Miguel O'Hara being like, no, 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 this is how it has to be. I mean, like, you know, the way it's kind of presented in the movie, it's like they've had conversations about this. They've had conversations about this. That goes back to the first movie. Like, it's like, you know, like, and and that to me is like, that's a sin in terms of like the character regression that you referred to, because it's like, if, if that's supposed to be part of the context of their actions in the first movie, it kind of cheapens some of the emotional journey of the first movie. And I kind of like don't want to, believe that's the case you know what i mean like i i, I almost like want to wreck on that away myself because i'm like no nah, i don't buy that because like I, it just didn't seem like there was such a purity to their journeys in the first movie to say like this has been in the background the whole time i think cheapens the 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 journey and yeah it's regressive storytelling so it it it, it, it really you know you had again not to not to not to point you as as Captain Spoiler here, because you really didn't spoil anything for me. But you did. You 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 said to me uh, the night before I went to go see the movie, there are quote unquote choices that were made, and I was like, okay. I, and I had, I really, 
up until that point in the movie, didn't know what you meant. You know what I mean? Like there were, there were, you know, some points I will admit there were, you know, like until that point in the movie, there were certain parts where like, I did feel like things, kind of, the, the story kind of slowed down a little bit for me. And like, I felt like in ever the so slightest way, it was kind of dragging until they would bring in another character or whatever like that. And then, you know, but then it like starts picking up when they're in New Ava, York and, and everything seems to be accelerating. And then this happens. And I was like, that's the choice that Dan was talking about. <laughs> like, um, I mean, you know, no doubt about it. And it, it shocked me. And like, that's the, you know, to go back to what I said earlier in the episode, that's the point where it's like, you know, like there's so much teeth gnashing over like, you know, would Peter fight the Fantastic Four rather than just ask for their help and blah, 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 blah. And yet, like, I, you know, maybe this isn't true universally, but I frankly, I see a lot of people commending this movie as an achievement who are the same people who were criticizing ASM. And I'm like, how how are you not calling out like them basically I feel butchering a core tenet of Spider-Man's moral code. You know what I mean? So, but, and, and look, like at the end of the day, I, I, I am not emotional enough about it to have it truly detract from my enjoyment of the movie, because again, it's art. I feel that let the storytellers tell the story. You know what I mean? Like, like, like you said, this, this could go in a direction where this is in a different thing, but like in the moment, that's a, that's a, that's a shocking character choice to me like um not not a deal breaker but a shocking character choice i mean it is shock it's shocking for the characters in the film like miles's big revelation you know at, at the top of the rocket is that peter let slip that they had conversations about it like they knew about all of this before bringing him to nueva york you know and that they chose to keep all this from him and that they knew that his father was going to die and were prepared to let that happen. Like, and that is really the breaking point for miles that says like, I'm leaving everyone behind and going back to my universe and basically like going to tell my parents that I'm Spider-Man. And, you know, he says, you know, before he knows he's in the wrong universe, he says, you know, something is coming for us and I can't stop it. You know, like uh, he, he has put it all on the line for that. He does not know that Gwen and Peter, because they ultimately go back to their universes and realize their mistakes, right? Like Gwen goes back and reconnects with her father who forgives her and, you know, like proves that growth can happen and that he can cancel a canon event, right? Like him deciding not to become captain proves that the canon events aren't solid things, you know? And that's where she realizes, wait a minute, I was really wrong about this, you know? And Peter goes back and he has the same conversation with uh, MJ and she makes that joke about sports. She's like, you know, you can come up with a new plan at halftime, you know? You can admit your mistakes at halftime and, and change direction, you know? And she's like, oh, that's a sports reference, you know? <laughs> Which I appreciated because my family is also equally patronizing with me about sports. But... <laughs> You know, like the, their arcs are getting back to who we know Spider-Man to be, you know, and there are other characters that are on that journey the whole time. Like Hobie has a great line where he says, like, don't enlist until you know what war you're fighting before Miles, because Miles is very eager to join up with the Spider Society. And Hobie's right. Like Hobie knows what's going on. 
he may just be anti-authoritarian, but like in this case, I think he really is like trying to signal to Miles, you don't you don't really want anything to do with this, you know. So there there are those things there, and by the end, there's a, enough of them to form a team, which is going to be really exciting. But yeah, I'm like the weirdest thing for me is just that we, like we went a movie to get that arc. You know, like, but that, that's the, that's the core of Spider-Man. <laughs> I don't know that we need a movie to establish Spider-Man's moral code, you know, but I mean, images of the, of the, the, the multiverse collapsing around them, you know, I guess it's pretty, a pretty good sales tactic, you know, but well, yeah, I, well, I, I don't know. Well, in the MCU, we basically needed three Spider-Man movies to finally get like why Spider-Man is Spider-Man. <laughs> so I mean, <laughs> yeah, you know, I right, yeah. Um, I do you want to kind of do like a punch list through some of the other notable supporting characters here in terms of yeah, yeah. sure yeah go ahead why don't you get us started uh, I mean like you mentioned Hobie and Spider Punk I mean like you know true I I would say probably the breakout star of this movie for the most part in terms of like you know like unexpected like pleasures in my opinion because like I, I got to be honest like in the comics I've been kind of this way and that like I, i've been unimpressed by by spider punk not meaning that i think he's bad but i just like like he's been unremarkable to me and this was like to me this was like a standout he had some great lines and the character was just really well done and 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 i just thought it was a lot of fun and and i had unexpected joy seeing this character uh, over the course of this movie one of the most amusing things i've seen about hobie is like seeing animators online be completely dumbstruck at like how they pulled off this kind of like living sex pistols cover that is Hobie. Like he's made out of, you know, scraps of all kinds of things. And it's always incredible to look at. And like one of the animators like made a list of all the rules that they had for Hobie, like different parts of him are animated on different beats. And like, it's an amazing animation creation, you know, like, uh, like I, I'm not an animator, but like every animator that's looked at this is like, this is black magic. Like, like however they're doing this is like, is some kind of black magic. So I, I thought it was a really cool creation. I didn't love the characterization of Spider-Man India. Like I'm not Indian, but like watching it, I felt kind of like weirdly, like, is this tokenism? Like, like, like is this a, like a broad stereotype of Indian people? It seemed like not like a little more surface level than I think I would have wanted out of seeing that character. But I won't deny that his costume is amazing and the way he's animated with his like yo-yo bracelets. I've never seen anything like every character had a very distinct way of moving. And and like when when Gwen moves, it's like this grateful swan dive, you know, and like when Spider-Man India moves, it's like holy crap, like watch him zip and zap all these in, and winging this bracelet around. It was so entertaining to look at. I was disappointed in Jessica Drew, Spider-Woman. Like I, I just, you know, I know they introduced her. She's, she's, you know, what about eight months pregnant here and, you know, riding on a motorcycle and Gwen is like, can you adopt me? And like, you know, you, you, you kind of think she's going to be a badass, but like, the character really is kind of portrayed as a bit of a weasel in this movie, in my opinion. Like I didn't, I like, you know, like I didn't really find anything sympathetic about the character or, 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 you know, in any kind of meaningful way. And like, that was a little bit of a disappointment because I would have liked to see something a little more creative with the character there. Um, I mean, do you, 
did you find that as well or did you get a little more I mean out of she's it? specifically Miguel's right hand man you know there are some insights into her like she had like an ex lover or she you know she has like a husband now that she makes reference to I was a little confused by that because when we meet her she said she has a husband and then we jump forward like in time a couple months where she seems to be just as pregnant um, despite time passing she mentions to Gwen who they've been ostensibly working together for a while at that point, like about an ex lover. So I was like, was that husband no longer her lover? Or is she referring to someone else? Like, and it felt just vague enough that there's some twist coming there. Maybe it was something that was developed in an earlier draft and like never really got like paid off in this new version. I, I yeah, I thought the character was a little like kind of nebulous despite looking really cool, you know, like, uh, the fight with the vulture and her motorcycle is super neat. And like even the stuff of her at the end in earth 42 of her, like driving down the streets looking for miles is, is cool as well. You know, like there's a real otherworldliness to her, but yeah, there's not, there's not much to that character. God bless him. People have he, Ben Riley has his fan. I, I didn't mind the characterization, but like, you know, for, for, you know, for those who don't understand what we're talking about, I mean, Ben Riley is kind of, portrayed in this movie as being like a dumb 90s character which i mean my my experience is he is a dumb 90s character <laughs> i think this character characterization would work better if it was like kane rather than ben like he's really acting like kane that's might be too obscure you know, for people like, and the design of, of Ben is much more iconic, you know? It was kind of heightened and ridiculous the way Spider-Man Noir was in the first movie, but like, I don't know, like I, it was fine for me. I, I, I guess I was also chuckling, you know, full disclosure, a few months before this movie came out, I, you know, was again, monitoring the, the hot list of comics and web of Spider-Man 118, which is the first official appearance of, of Ben Riley Spider-Man, you know, Scarlet Spider was like number one on the list. And like, you know, this book is skyrocketing because of his soon to be appearance in across the Spider-Verse. And I was like thinking to myself very, you know, smugly, well, good thing I own it. And then I go through my collection. I'm like, I don't own it. Oh no, I was mistaking it with like the other, I have every other comic from that arc except for that one. And like, P.S., I got all of those comics in like the dollar bin, I think in that con that we went to the first, and when it was, you know, in, in Connecticut before it became Terrificon. So like, I have been like, scouring like online sites to get a a, a decently priced co a copy of that comic. And I got it like two days before the movie came out. I haven't received it in the mail yet. It's due. It's supposed to come uh, tomorrow as we're recording this. And then I saw like how he, the character was ultimately portrayed. I was like, Oh, I, I hope like this is kind of a, uh, a letdown considering the height, like people are like, Riley in the movie is going to be a big deal. Going to be big. The way you know, I'm like, no, uh, not really. Uh, <laughs> kind of a punchline. What are you going to do? But uh, so hopefully I didn't overpay for my comic. <laughs> Did speaking of like appearances of things, was there a moment in the movie where you were like, I can't believe I'm seeing what I'm seeing? Like as a, as a nerdy comic book Spider-Man fan, you know, there's so many Easter eggs and references 
Was there one that stood out to you in particular where your jaw just hit the floor? Well, I mean, type fi- typeface from I don't know if it was jaw dropping, but I was just like, whoa, like like that's that's a poll. I mean, again, like I mean, you referred to some of them earlier. It, it, it's more of like how they incorporated the references, like the fact that like ASM ninety the way is is a quote unquote canon event. You know what I mean? Like like it it that's the stuff that got me. Not so much a cameo or an Easter egg per se. It, it was more like how they integrated these you know the 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 comics and the movies in a, in, in a way that like was very like kind of seamless and like not not embarrassed of itself. But what, 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 what do you have something in mind? I I, I don't mean well, to be. I, I'm know. curious if you saw this one because I thought of you the minute I saw it. But it's really there for a frame or two at best. When the Sony Pictures Animation logo is on screen and it's you know scrambling, it turns into the Amazing Spider-Man 300 cover. And it just says it says Sony and, and and all that stuff, but it's an exact replication of it. And I thought, oh man, like I got to talk to Mark about that. I missed that. I need, now I need to go back and see it again to see see that. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it is blink and you miss it. Wow, it's so fast. That's so um, funny. I probably was like hoovering popcorn at that point. I, I I went I went to the movies by myself, and yet I still got myself like a jumbo tub of popcorn. I didn't get the I didn't get the, I, it's a long movie. I didn't get the plastic helmet uh, uh, of Miles's head that you know the commemorative popcorn bucket of Miles's head, but I got I got I, I got I got a large <laughs> bucket of popcorn because I was like, yeah, I'm not the movies by myself. What am I going to do? Uh, so maybe like maybe like at that uh, crunch moment, I miss I missed the, the transition for sure. <laughs> yeah, that that was a pretty cool one for me. I mean, yeah, there's no getting around like typeface. There's a moment where you see, you know, we watched Spidey and his amazing friends for our previous season. And there's a moment in the jail, like right after the typeface thing where they're like, and we've got some of these video game characters or whatever. And it's, it's video man in in one of them, like that character. I was like, I never thought I would ever see video man ever again, you know? And right next to him is the green goblin from the Atari Spider-Man game, which is like maybe nine green pixels. Like that was, that was pretty amazing. I, I was, I was pretty shocked by that. I mean, like, Grizzly shows up, you know, like that's pretty insane. Yeah. Uh, Mysterio was another one that like, I couldn't believe was actually there. So yeah, there's, there's just a lot of really good stuff. I, I'm, I can't wait for the next one. I mean, what we got 10 months seeing it a second time, the movie breezed by like it just like blink and it was done. Uh, it was the fastest two and a half hours in an IMAX. I think I've, I've ever had, and there's a lot of promise going into the second one. That cliffhanger is really stellar. You know, a city that's overrun by the sinister six. Like I want to, I hope we spend significant time there, you know, um, if only because it reminds me of Spider-Man rain. I, I do want to go back. There was one thing where my jaw dropped. That was Donald Glover showing up as, oh, yeah. as, as Aaron. That was awesome. So anyway, that was really, that was really cool. And, you know, a nice follow up on the previous film uh, where we saw him in the Spider-Man suit in the TV. Well, I'm sure we could keep talking about this forever. It's a really exciting movie. And I mean, really, I feel spoiled as a Spider-Man fan. I don't think there's really any other character that has gotten this kind of treatment 
on screen. I mean, Batman has got like Batman mask of the phantasm and these great stories, but I don't think there's ever been quite a celebration of him in this way. I, I will say on the other hand, I am a little like eager to move past the celebration of Spider-Man thing. Like, I feel like no way home was that this was that like now I want them to just kind of like really end those stories, you know, in in a really satisfying way. Like I'm ready for the next Spider-Man movie in the MCU to be a Spider-Man movie now that he's Spider-Man, you know, and like. I'm really eager for the end of this, but I do wonder like, can we get a miles movie where he's just being miles? Yeah. You know, without the spider verse. attached. Yeah. 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 That would be very exciting to me too. Absolutely. For the meantime, grateful for what we have. Uh, Mark, why don't you take us home? Well, uh, so I, I, you know, let's give it a grade. Like we grade our comics, Dan. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to give this a B plus, you know, again, like I, 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 Enjoyed it immensely. I mean, for for context, Spider the the first Spider Verse is is an A for me. That's an A movie. So so I mean, but like this is this is an upper echelon Spider Man movie, but not the best Spider Man movie. But like very very great, <laughs> very much enjoyed. How about you? I think this is an A minus for me. I think when I first saw it, I was kind of B B plus, and seeing it again. I think with some expectations like, you know, righted, I was able to see it for kind of what it was, you know, movies like this where I have such an emotional attachment to them. I like seeing them a second time to kind of like let myself orient, you know, to, to whatever they actually are in their own right. So it's an A minus for me, but I think it's an A plus in terms of like innovation, um, and, and pushing stuff forward. Where does it sit for you in terms of like your Spider-Man rankings? I would probably, I see it. And we had, I had this conversation online over the weekend. I am an un, unapologetic fan of Spider-Man, the second Raimi movie, Spider-Man two. It's still my all time favorite into the spider verses is, is a very close number two, a kind of distant number three from those is, is I, I, and we talked about this like over text. I I adore Far From Home. I just do. It, it, wow! It, it, it scratched such an itch for me. I think it, it's my favorite of the Holland movies, and it's 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 my it's second. It's the Mysterio man. Not not Far From Home. No way home. I'm sorry. No way home. Okay, correct me. Correct oh, me. Well, then that makes a lot more sense. Okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> I adore No Way Home, the third. It's the best of the Holland movies, in my opinion, and the way it kind of again celebrates all things Spidey. I, but you're right; that's we're, we're get, that is getting a little tired. Let's 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 just tell let's just finish the story, like you said. And th- and then I would put Across the Spire Verse, like probably tied slash directly behind No Way Home. Uh, and then I won't give the rest of the list because like we'll be here forever. Uh, how about you? Yeah, my, my list is very similar to yours. My top is into the spider verse. My number two is Spider-Man two. Spider-Man two was like one of my favorite movies it still is. It's just, that's how good I think into the spider verse is. I, I could flip on them a- any day of the week, you know, into the spider verse has a special place in my heart. Spider-Man two is probably still kind of like my platonic ideal. You know, like like if I were to green light a series based off of either of them, I'd probably want more like Spider-Man 2, you know, whereas like Into the Spider-Verse was just this, this bright, glowing ball of wonder. Uh, so Into the Spider-Verse, Spider-Man 2, and then 
I'm a toss up right now between Spider-Man Homecoming and Across the Spider-Verse. I think I like Spider-Man Homecoming more for its its ending, like which really speaks to me. Like watching that character reject the suit is a real like fist pump moment for me. But I there in no way is it on the same artistry level as Across the Spider-Verse. So you know, I think they're doing very different things. And so they kind of occupy my third spot. So anyway, that's my my top three. Mark, why don't you take us home? Well, it, it is that time, uh, time for all good things c- to come to an end, including movie reviews as we do our comic reviews. So we want to say thank you to you, the listeners and viewers, for tuning into this episode of The Amazing Spider Talk. Yeah, doing something a little bit different this time. Every once in a while, we talk about movies. But (laughs) either way, this podcast exists because of listener support on our Patreon. For only $3.99 a month, you can help support our show's existence while getting early episodes like our comic book reviews, some exclusive artwork, and a ton of other bonuses. And for a limited time, I've been doing a seven-day free preview of the Patreon. So you can sign up and download every episode that's been locked on the Patreon and you've never seen, and then you don't have to renew it after seven days, but we would love you to consider it. You know, that's what keeps us going. And if you value our show enough to even give the Patreon a try, hopefully you'll hang around either way. We want to say thank you to everybody who already supports us and the work that Mark and I do. Plus we want to issue a special thank you to welcome our newest patrons, Steve Southern, Ryan Humphrey, and David. Don't know David's last name. He's just David. And that's good enough for me. I mean, David, you know, David is the one I've long assumed has been Bob Dole. I have my friend David. So maybe maybe he's finally given us money, Dan. I'll have to ask him. All right. Well, maybe we got Bob Dole on board. All right. Bob Dole, Bob Dole. To download our earliest episodes, including interviews with legendary creators like JMD, Tom DeFalco, Ron Friends, Mark Bagley, and more, subscribe to our amazing Spider Talk Back Issues Podcast on Apple Podcasts. As always, this podcast was edited by Rick Coast. The video version of the show is available on YouTube and was edited by Alex Galucki. Our artwork comes handcrafted by artists Ron Friend, Sal Buscema, Ray Sumzer, and Nick Cagnetti. Our theme songs were produced by Rylan Bojack, Tony Thaxton, and Spider Madge. And our animated intro was created and performed by Josh Sutton. So, Mark... Until Foam Party actually becomes a disco, what's our motto? With great podcasts, there must also come the amazing Spider Talk. Don't, don't miss the next installment.